0: minutes of fascism a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right i'm craig johnson this week we're going to be going over the latest events in the right wing in the united states new zealand peru denmark and celebrating the death of a fascist from world war ii from slovakia We got a whole lot going on in the right wing in the United States, starting with the fact that some records have been released from a specifically Christian crowdfunding site uh, where there was a crowdfund to provide for the defense fund for Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, Kyle Rittenhouse, if you might recall, is pending trial for his murder of two black lives matter protesters in kenosha wisconsin Uh, he was a minor at the time Uh, he killed them uh, with an ar type rifle and then walked directly back toward the police gun in hand uh, and was able to just go home there are even reports that police on the scene provided him with food and thanked him for being there you know because he was supposedly there to quote protect local businesses Uh, that's his excuse uh, for why he traveled From Illinois to Wisconsin, uh, where he murdered two people. The leaked documents from this crowdfunding website have shown that, surprise, surprise, active duty police officers and sheriffs contributed heavily to his defense fund. Uh, These leaks have allowed journalists to find the names and residences of contributors and to even read their sort of like, you know, thank you or go get them, kid type messages. Um, a lot of these contributors even used their official emails and websites to register. Like they used actual government machines, you know, their actual government laptops. Um, they used their government provided email addresses to register for the website, just like fully indicating that they, as police officers, are supporting his political violence, his murder of two Black Lives Matter protesters. Uh, the police involved are from Virginia. They're from Alabama. Uh, they're active duty. Uh, there's more data incoming. Uh, this story came from The Guardian. So uh, follow there uh, for more updates on that. The White Lives Matter rallies that were planned around the United States last weekend have largely failed. Uh, They declared failures by their organizers, uh, having achieved only a sort of like piddling little attendance. Um, These were originally planned for the 11th um, and were effectively abandoned. Uh, Speaking of failures, uh, former President Donald Trump has appeared on Sebastian Gorka's podcast. Uh, Now, why is this interesting? Uh, Because it's an opportunity for me to talk about Sebastian Gorka, who's just like a fascinating figure on the sort of like pro-Trump right. Uh, Gorka was a former Trump staffer. Uh, He's nationally Hungarian, and he's extremely proud of his family's right-wing Hungarian political heritage, uh, to the extent that he wore his ancestors' fascist collaborators' military decoration uh, to Trump's inaugural ball. Now, Trump's appearance on this podcast is a pretty clear sign of like desperation uh, and also a lack of uh, media outlets that will actually cater to the former president. Now, uh, this is especially clear because both of these people have been effectively completely deplatformed. Um, both of them are off Twitter. They're off of Facebook. They're off of you know a lot of the main outlets that right wing forces use in order to reach uh, their supporters. During this interview, which lasted for a half an hour, Trump was basically the same guy that he used to be, sort of off the hook, kind of, you know, hard to pin down. Gorka kept trying to get him to turn on the Republicans and to double down on anti-democracy stuff, but Trump wouldn't. And this is something that I think a lot of people missed or just, like, don't believe about Donald Trump, is that, like, behind the, the disjointed, sort of unhinged way that he talks is actually an incredibly skilled rhetorician, right? Trump knows what he's talking about. He could see that Gorka was trying to, you know, lead him to vilify other Republicans. Trump doesn't want to do that. Is this some, you know, like a canny hope to actually run for the president in 2024 uh, or to pave the way for one of his children, like Ivanka, to seek the nomination in 2024? Uh, Or will this just end up being more fodder for the extreme right wing to turn against Trump? Uh, as they have increasingly over the last uh, several years. Uh, Other information about the right wing is an expose uh, that was on uh, MSNBC uh, about Oath Keepers being trained by off-duty police officers. Why they thought this was an expose, I don't know. This is not news to anybody who knows about militias uh, or how they work or how they get their support. In good news, Derek Chauvin has been convicted of murder, uh, for his murder of George Floyd, uh, however, unsurprisingly, many figures on the extreme right in the United States see this as you know a perversion of the justice system in their mind. Um, you know, figures from Ben Shapiro to just like your standard run-of-the-mill Republicans, you know, say that like, oh, you know, he was a police officer doing his duty, and he's being he's being punished for that. However, interestingly, some figures on the actual extreme right for example, Nick Fuentes, uh, have turned not just against George Floyd out of their racism and fascism, um, but also against Chauvin. Uh, you know, Nick Fuentes' tweet in response to, uh, to the murder charge uh, for the former police officer uh, is about how, you know, if he, if he hadn't been convicted, uh, he would have been uh, imprisoning your grandma for going to church without wearing a mask. Um, this is Fuentes' turn against the power of the state, and specifically against the power of the state as wielded by the conservative and liberal mainstream. Um, this is a hallmark of his extreme right-wing ideologies, his actual fascism. You know, he's actually critical of state violence when it is opposed to the right-wing. However, this kind of perspective, you know, critical of police from the right, uh, is extremely rare. Instead, we should be expecting, uh, quote, back the blue rallies uh, to sweep the country or at least to attempt to uh, in the wake of this uh, murder conviction. And finally, not in uplifting news, but at least in weirder news, uh, a lot of the leaders or the former leaders of the former paramilitary organization, The Base, uh, which was a weird, mystical, violent neo-Nazi cult, uh, have been charged, in addition to their other charges, with... The ritual sacrifice of a ram, uh, which they performed while on acid in a, you know, misguided neo-pagan ritual. This is from Vice Media. News from Denmark is that Generation Adinter, which is a pan-European nationalist slash Christian group that opposes Muslim immigration, has bought some ad space in Copenhagen calling for refugees to be deported back to Syria. Now, uh GI Generation Et Inter uh, is an extremely fascinating group, uh, in that they are a well, they're a pan-European nationalist organization, which essentially means that they identify with a concept of whiteness that's much more analogous to the way that people in the United States, that that white nationalists in the United States identify whiteness, uh, in that they are talking about, you know, the white race and its European heritage, Western civilization, all that sort of shit. Uh, They're also much more openly Christian and Christian nationalists uh, than a lot of other European nationalists have been uh, up until recently. Uh, The fact that they were capable of buying ad space is a you know, it's just a really disgusting development uh, in the course of nationalism in Denmark. Uh, and it's also abetted by the Danish government's approach to refugees and refugee rights, uh, which has worsened horribly recently. Uh, unfortunately, the Danes are not alone in this among the, you know, supposedly, you know, liberal left leaning northern European social democracies uh, such as Norway and the Netherlands and Sweden. Which have all been cooling significantly in their support, uh, for, you know, the international needs of people fleeing extreme violence, uh, such as, for example, the people targeted by the SAD campaign, uh, refugees from Syria, who, if they are deported back to Syria, often face extreme violence, uh, from that government and from the, um, ongoing violence there. In Peru, uh, we have updates regarding the recent and upcoming presidential election. Uh, Very recently, Peru had the first round of its presidential election this year, and in that first round, uh, the two candidates who were, you know, advanced to be the two finalist candidates to, to, to go on to the final election were Pedro Castillo, a leftist, and Keiko Fujimori, a right-wing candidate. Now, I'm focusing on uh, Fujimori, uh, who's the daughter of that country Peru's most recent dictator, uh, who took power as a dictator in a self-coup in the late 1990s. Now, a self-coup for those of you who don't recall is when a leader, you know, an actual sitting leader of a country, a president, a king, a prime minister, stages a coup against themselves. Uh, in an attempt to give themselves dictatorial power. Usually this is done in response to an emergency of some kind. Uh, Interestingly, Fujimori, his daughter, Keiko Fujimori, is running as a right-wing candidate, um, much more so than her father did openly. Uh, She has gone so far as to call the left uh, a disease and a cancer uh, when she's talking about the left-wing in Cuba and Venezuela. But of course, She's not just talking about the left-wing in Cuba and Venezuela. Uh, she's talking about Castillo, who is a former primary school teacher and a self-avowed communist. Uh, so this election is between the daughter of a former right-wing dictator and a self-avowed communist and, you know, actual member of working class militancy working class uh, organizing and union movements. Uh, this is extremely interesting. And the fact that Fujimori is using this kind of language to describe the left in general is not just reminiscent it is a direct echo of the way the right wing talks about the left and specifically its leftist enemies and specifically its domestic leftist enemies uh, using the language of disease and contagion which is a way to medicalize and legitimate the need to kill the left uh, as if they were you know a foreign body invading an otherwise natural healthy whole So the fact that Fujimori is using this kind of language as she is preparing to go up against a very staunchly left-wing candidate uh, should give us pause. It's actually quite disturbing. And finally, in New Zealand, some New Zealand Defence Force reservists uh, have been linked to fascist organizing. Uh, This is from Newsroom New Zealand. Uh, these reservists have been linked to fascist organizing based upon their uh, online posts and their activity Um, it's extremely illegal uh, for members of the armed forces in new zealand uh, to be linked to extreme right-wing groups just as it is in the united states except that unlike in the united states new zealand is actually kind of trying to do something about it Uh, this is the second member of the new zealand armed forces who has been found uh, to be involved in right-wing organizing recently Um, they're taking it quite seriously they're actually taking some serious uh, measures against these uh, members of the armed forces and doing a lot of investigating closing out this week as i do every week with our segment see you in hell which celebrates the death of a prominent right-wing figure from history this week we are going back to the time of world war ii uh, we're talking about uh, slovakia and we are talking about a guy named father tiso and he's not just called father as a term of endearment he was a catholic Priest. Tissot was a Catholic priest for, you know, the entirety of his life. He entered the seminary as a young man and got involved in politics as a sort of like, you know, idealistic young nationalist, uh, as a lot of people did uh, at the time, uh, the time being the 1920s and 30s. However, as his involvement in politics changed and deepened, Uh, He really seriously entered political life as a political actor himself in the interwar period between World War I and World War II uh, as a member of the Slovak People's Party. Um, The Slovak People's Party then turned extremely rightward, became very nationalistic, very anti-Semitic, and very much uh, pro-secession from Czechoslovakia. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this part of the world and the history that was going on there, this is extremely relevant because Czechoslovakia emerged as a nation after World War I uh, in the wake of the elimination of the Austro Hungarian Empire. Uh, these two territories had been part of the Austro Hungarian Empire and were combined together into one state, largely in order to make them too big to be just like gobbled up by uh, other regional powers like Germany or Austria or Russia, or, you know, the Ottomans, or the Turkish. Um, Czechoslovakia, however, was beset by a lot of serious problems, uh, namely the fact that many different ethnic groups belong in it. This is the problem that a lot of Balkan states experienced after the fall of the Hun- Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, and This was something that uh, Father Tiso and his compatriots in the Slovak People's Party uh, cared about very intensely. Now, in the wake of one of the precipitating events of World War One. Uh, which is the Nazi annexation of the Sudetenland, uh, which was a predominantly German part of what is now Czechia, the Czech Republic. Uh, so in the wake of this annexation of this, uh, Czech territory, this Czechoslovakian territory, the Slovak nationalist movement gained a whole lot of steam. Uh, and this was especially true for the Slovak People's Party, which seriously collaborated with Nazis and other fascists um, in order to expand their power in Czechoslovakia. Father Tiso himself emerged as the leader of this movement and became the leader of a breakaway Slovak republic with the aid of Nazi Germany. Uh, He was a fully transparent Nazi puppet. uh, And as Nazi puppet, he was a full collaborator uh, with the deportation of Jewish people to Germany and other German held territories, uh, in the Holocaust. Uh, he faced some pushback from the church, uh, in the early 1940s, you know, in the, like around 1943, 44, uh, which stalled, uh, but did not stop his aid in, uh, murdering Jewish people. Uh, throughout his reign, uh, over 60% of the Jewish people in the Slovak Republic were deported to German uh, extermination camps and labor camps and were killed. He fled the invading Red Army as the Red Army invaded uh, Slovakia. Uh, He fled to a monastery in Austria where he was captured uh, by the United States. He was then extradited back to a reunited Czechoslovakia, charged uh, and convicted of treason and collaboration with Holocaust deportations. Uh, He was then hanged wearing his clerical vestments uh, this week in history, April 18th, 1947. So, Father Tiso, we will see you in hell. All right, folks, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you found this podcast interesting, educational, or useful, please like, share, and subscribe it. Share it with friends, family, and comrades. And if you found it extremely interesting and useful, check out my Patreon at patreon.com/slash Fifteen Minutes of Fascism. That's Fifteen Minutes of Fascism, all one word. And like I teased last week, this month is an extremely important month in dead fascists. Uh, so get ready in the coming weeks as I cover the deaths of Benito Mussolini and, of course. The big one, Adolf Hitler. All right, I will talk to you next week.